All right, hey everyone, this is Tom. I'm here with my business partner, LP. Um, for many of you listening to these episodes, you've probably not heard from her yet. So before we jump into this, I'm going to let her introduce herself. And uh, this episode is kind of a bonus track, so we'll get to know LP a little bit. But then LP and I were going to spend some time talking about the conference that we attended last week and the amazing people we met and the conversations that we got to participate in. So before we get to that, I want to turn the floor over to LP and just let her give you guys a, her quick introduction. Well, hi. Th- thanks for having me. I'm really excited. So Tom and I know each other from working together at a large health system here in Indianapolis and six, seven years ago, maybe now. And um, my name's Laura Pullen McMichael. So LP is my nickname. And um, I'm an occupational therapist by clinical training. I've worked in a lot of different places as a clinician and um, came to community, worked there as a clinician, and then managed for a while, and then joined the performance improvement team where I met Tom. And I've been in love with performance improvement ever since and excited to talk about this conference that we just went to because I think we kind of knocked it out of the park. I I had... A blast. I, every time you and I get to facilitate together, people give us feedback on the dynamic that we have. And for those people listening in, LP and I, we grew up in a very similar area in Northwest Indiana. The region. The region. If you're familiar. Yes. Yeah, so our jokes, uh, most people don't know what the heck we're talking about, but because our upbringings were so similar, we find the same things funny and there's a lot of banter between the two of us. So, you know, in these presentations, I know at least you and I are having fun. And uh, I, I think that translates to the audience. So I always love getting to present alongside you because you have so much energy, which is great because you are that side of this equation because I don't naturally have that much energy. And you're an amazing people's person and um, just great at networking and building relationships and those things I've always valued in you. And just thankful that uh, your journey and my journey came together and that what we learned in our past role has positioned us well to come out on our own. And I'm having a lot of fun doing this stuff with you. So thanks for being here today. Yeah, and thank you. Nice I, words. Yes. Oh, yeah, you can give me $5. So you just mail that check to me later. I love that you just wear your heart on your sleeve. That's that's so nice. Uh, I'm, I'm a, I feel like I'm a little bit more, uh, like you get touchy-feely and I'm the one who has to throw out like, a sarcastic joke to be like, get us back on track. <laughs> so before we talk about this conference, you remember we were on that one project and they were talking about physician buy-in and I was like talking about, well, we could just trust that, you know, we can use empathy and patient stories to get them involved and stuff like that. And no one in the room was reacting and he's just like, and then there's always the stick, like their compensation <laughs> is dependent on their participation in these projects so that's an example of how LP and I tend to work together is I talk you know um almost in an idealist type way and she's the realist of the equation like yeah that's real pretty Tom I love what you're saying but here's what we also did in the short term we actually want something to happen so we're gonna take this approach too (laughs) yes I love that I love that well I know I remember one of the first things you ever said when we started working together um that you can't leave Tom at home when you go to work every day. And I think when I first started working um, in management or kind of outside of the patient uh, interaction, 
I thought I had to put a wall up a little bit more and be more business and separate life and business and who I am outside. And that was a challenge for me in my management role. I felt like I couldn't have as much fun or I couldn't be as people focused. And I had to, you know, always balance, oh, you can't be too friendly with your staff because then they won't respect you or Mm -hmm. you can't be, but you also had to build relationships with them so that they, you know, scored well on the engagement survey. Um, So I just feel like now it's our culture of, of what we're trying to build and support other teams goes back to that first comment you said that you can't, you know, leave yourself at home when you come to work every day. And that just felt so freeing to be able to say, I'm, I'm myself all the time. And I appreciate that you appreciate me and I appreciate you and vice versa. But, um, you did call me a ball buster. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I know really I can't, soon. Into I, yeah, it. No. <laughs> it's cause you wouldn't let me get away with like anything. I would like try to, you know, half-ass something. And you're like, Tom, let's talk about the quality of this effort. I just saw you put in like, you you could do better. That's true. Oh, gosh. That's part of the Northwest Indiana is that we show love in a very weird ways. We do. We do. We're always there for each other. Yes, it's true. Show up in a practical way every time you need to. Yeah. So I'm glad that you're in that spot now where you can let your hair down because, um, this conference was all about just being who you are and nerding out about making healthcare better and going into there had people had their guard up and trying to, you know, protect whatever intellect they might have. These these conferences, they wouldn't be a success. But when people show up and they're there to meet people and build relationships and share stories, good and bad, about successes and failures and what they're doing to try to get better, it just creates this community where people feel welcome and safe to discuss ideas and to learn from one another and that's just amazing energy and I think if people just accept that the only way that's ever going to happen is if you show up as yourself it's easier to not try to compartmentalize your life and like I'm this person when I'm here or I'm this person when I'm here just be you or act like you have it all together when in reality nobody does right yes Well, I, what I didn't know about it until we got there was how many engineers we were going to be around. I mean, talk about nerds. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that was amazing. Incredibly smart people everywhere. So I'm glad I didn't really realize that at first because I think I would have been a little bit more intimidated. Oh, my gosh. These are people that love process improvement, but they actually have a degree in engineering, industrial yes. engineering or other types of engineering. and. A lot of students participate in this um, conference, presenting their work. And that was something I think I just didn't realize, you know, in preparation for it. So I have all this excitement about, wow, this is whole other, you know, area of, of engineers bringing things to healthcare. Like we might actually make improvements if we have more people thinking like them. Yes. Yeah. So th- the conference we went to was in Savannah, Georgia. And um, it was that city. We'll talk a little bit about the city, um, but talk about the, the conference. So it's the Healthcare Systems Process Improvement Conference. So uh, it is led by... It was sponsored by the Society for Health Systems. And they have, I think, a lot of their membership along the East Coast and like the Southeast part of uh, the U.S. So they host their conference a lot of times in... You know, I think they've had it in Boston in the past, maybe, or um, you know, Orlando next year, Savannah this year. It may have 
been in Texas before, but... Yeah, there was a lot of membership out of Texas. I met a lot of Texans while there. So, um, they definitely were a great group to interact with. Super friendly. Learned a lot. A lot of content around um, hospital throughput and flow times and models, modeling. And, and I sat next to someone at lunch that was trying to explain, you know, how she built a model in Excel to look at throughput in a clinic. And she was using these terms I had never even heard of. And <laughs> it, it was a one moment that I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm like, I have no idea what you're just talking about. You're way too smart for yeah, me. <laughs> like they were optimizing and trying to create just the ideal capacity for a unit. Yes. The, so going out there and being around these engineers, um, I, I like Googled stuff almost every night. I'm like, that sounds awesome. I'm going to have to research it. Like so, I can't hang with you. But they, I mean, they, so the first impression is, oh my gosh, like these people are really smart, you know, improvement nerds, just like us. Yes. Then the next day and or the third day, Friday morning, um, the keynote asked how many people were up past midnight. And so many of the people were. I was like, I don't know who you people are. That's like way too late for me. But then I heard they had gone out to like the piano bar after dinner and just had a blast. So these are people that know how to have a good time too. Yeah, they're they're just, they're people. Yeah. Yeah, they're there with the same intentions you and I had, which was to change healthcare. So before we start talking about day one, how did we get roped into this? Like, you met someone... Yes, Cody Hall. Okay. So, I was on a Baldridge team with Cody last spring, um, and he... I was just impressed with him. He's super down-to-earth, super smart, uh, was one of the other... few other people on my team that had gone through a Baldridge um, process in the past. Okay. So, we kind of bonded on talking about, you know, oh, we did it like this. You know, when I did this before, oh, we did it like this when I did this before, and mm-hmm. kind of shared feedback that way. And I think we're, you know, he was definitely a um, not official leader of of the team, mm-hmm. but came out with just his his presence and his kindness and his intellect, and you know, just made everybody feel comfortable. I think he was definitely an informal leader on our team and made that experience, you know, awesome. So connected on LinkedIn with him and he was advertising this conference and I looked into it a little more and thought, huh, Savannah, February, sounds like a good time to get out of town. Beats the Midwest, that's for sure. So I'm glad you made that connection and um, he, I met him in person and everything you said, uh, you weren't exaggerating. He is a very kind person and he introduced us to his committee and those other individuals that volunteer their time for SHS. And every one of them had that same demeanor and were very welcoming. So when when we got there, um, you know, it was just a like a welcoming committee. Everyone at that event was very friendly and very engaging, which was perfect because because that first day we woke up super early. We left Indianapolis oh at two thirty, and our my boys are a lot older, so they actually sleep. But I know your little ones. Don't do it regularly. So it had to be a hard morning for you. But when we got yes. there, that hit us. Yes. And we split ways and we went to take naps. Well, I went to the spa. That was Smart. my first. I, I had this gap between flight landing and check into Airbnb. And I found a spa. It was literally right down the street from where I was staying. And I got a massage. I got a facial. It was this perfect timing to then just walk down the street and check in. 
Yes. So then you get check in and you you decide it's nap time finally. Yes. And that's when the networking event starts. So you you know yes. you were supposed to be my wing woman. I couldn't hang. I know you could. And, I couldn't. And couldn't I'm it. pretty shy, so. I, um, but then you end up on a podcast I know, that night. I know. I, I, I'm, I'm very proud I'm of I'm glad you. I did it, but I missed you the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> so I go to this networking event. When I, when I land, you know, LP's talking a lot about the city and all the amazing food, and she tries to convince me to do a ghost tour. Yes. I say no. I think, well, we both, I think we both kind of agreed that was a bad plan, you know, because we were both obviously staying by ourselves that night, and... I didn't want to be scared, and you know, last time I did a ghost tour, and if anyone talks to my husband, don't even bring it up. He doesn't even like talking about it because it was so freaky. But we um, stayed on Tybee Island, so we had this beach house practically, which the last place you think of as being haunted is a beach house with a pool, you know. And we we did this day in Savannah and drove um, after the ghost tour to our beach house, and neither one of us could sleep hardly. Every noise we were hearing. You know, all this stuff. There was at one point um, on the ghost tour, we were in front of a really haunted house, 432 Abercorn. Google it. You won't sleep tonight either. But it was either 432 or 431. Um, but anyways, my husband had took a photo of it, and I told him not to. No, that's a bad... Never... Do, don't disrespect no. the haunted houses in Savannah. Like, just you know, listen, walk by quietly, do not take it home with you. And his phone wouldn't work. We tried to use it to map us back. It was, mm. and so he, it didn't work right until he deleted the pictures of the haunted house. And as soon as he did that, it worked fine again. And that's now why he is convinced or is on the cusp of being convinced that ghosts might be real. Okay. So you just sold to the brave people of the world that Savannah is the best place to go if you love to learn about history and paranormal activity. Yeah, it's the most haunted city in America. And then I, now, had I known that, I probably would have called in sick. Because <laughs> I'm, like, your husband, um, a chicken. Like, I, I, the boys will watch scarier stuff than I do. Yeah. Okay, so I'm glad we didn't do it. Yeah. You can feel, it, once you're aware of it, and I was talking to my Uber driver on the way to the airport leaving, once you know the history and, you know, what's going on in Savannah, and it's kind of, it's kind of sad. A lot of the, the, the land and the squares have been built on top of mass graves left over from the civil war mm-hmm. so the um there's just a aura a little bit of like a heaviness if you have any psychic inclination which that, i do okay and so does carolyn so the next trip you you the both of you can go and you can go yeah. do the scary stuff and i'll I'll stick to getting out and running and checking out yeah. the the restaurants. I had a lot of fun that first day. So we find that I get to networking and I meet up with you for dinner afterwards. So this networking event, I'm just kind of standing on the perimeter, you know, trying to get the courage and uh, individuals just start to, you know, see that I'm alone and trying to avoid the conversations and they won't let me hide. Uh-huh. Like, the, Let's and, help the big awkward guy. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. So they, they bring me into their circle, and um, every one of them was just like, I'm glad you're here. This is my seventh time coming. And to me, you know, I, I was not aware of this conference. I thought this was just getting started. And so many people were like, yes, I've been here. I'll always be coming to this one. This is like a family. And immediately I started to kind of become less nervous and started to 
engage. And it became a slippery slope because they roped, I think they were just trying to rope me in to do a podcast episode. Well, they saw you were alone probably and you were a target, like a target on your back because yes. you're like, oh, look at this guy who's alone. He's got to be new. Let's make him talk. Yeah. So. Well, they got you. And it was a really good interview. Yeah. It I, was great. If you came up with that just off the top of your head. That's pretty that's much how impressive. all my thoughts happen. Like that's I just. Mo- that's awesome. They just hit me. And to be honest, that first night when I said those things, I was like, now that's a pipe dream. Like. Now that, refresh people what you said. Okay. So. They didn't see it. So they're talking about uh, the future of healthcare and what I predict to be happening. And a lot of individuals are thinking you've got artificial intelligence and predictive analytics and big data that's going to disrupt and transform healthcare. And I think obviously those things are going to happen, but I had said, instead of going that direction, I think you're going to see some of healthcare go back to its traditional practice of high touch care in which we try to find ways to allow the caregiver, the care team and the patient to have a space to which they can feel connected with each other and to um, make each other well by caring for one another in an authentic way and not through a technological interface or an invention, but through personal touch. And then beyond that, I I said, I think the role of hospitals are going to change too. I think they're going to become more important as an anchor institution to work alongside um, government, uh, infrastructure, education, um, you know, your law enforcement, those other civil service groups to help communities be well and to focus on the healthcare outcomes as an important metric at a community level. So that is a concept out of the, the Baldridge uh, Communities of Excellence program. Well, I'm program. really glad you, you brought that up in that podcast because I think that probably piqued people's interest even more about, you know, the Baldridge process and the Communities of Excellence. Yes. And so I, I felt like I was just way out in left field until we got to the keynote speaker on day one and I was just like oh my gosh like I'm, I'm not as crazy as I think or yes. the the two of us are crazy together but then the positive response he got I think everyone who was there who was trying to transform healthcare agreed that that was an important direction to be heading so well and I think awesome. that's why this conference was is brings people back every year because sometimes if you're off at your own organization, on the performance excellence team or performance improvement team or whatever they, different words you call it at different organizations, you often feel like you're speaking in a different language than the rest of the organization. And you feel like, am I crazy here? Why, what, does this not make sense? And, yes. you know, gosh, why you know, wouldn't we consider looking at it from this side or this angle or try doing something like this? So I think coming and, and getting together with people that are having those same feelings of isolation and how they think coming together saying no we're all thinking the same way a lot of the stuff that came out of um a lot of the sessions I went to on like throughput and discharge challenges and you know we'll get more into the strategic planning tools all the same challenges that other healthcare organizations are running into yeah so you feel a lot of camaraderie and you know, can pick on people's brains to say, how did you deal with this? And just at the end of the day, feel really supported that you're at least on the right track, even if no one will listen to you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I think as we close, we got a lot more to talk mm-hmm. about, but that was one of the things that they were talking about as a goal for 
SHS was to grow their membership in uh, regards to clinicians being involved and, and uh, operators, operators being kinds, involved yeah. and getting them involved in this conversation. So, you know, as we close, we'll revisit that. Yeah. So d- day one, I'm glad I got out of my comfort zone. Um, I had a lot of fun. I met a lot of great people that day. And, and I'm it, glad I got a nap and got to go to bed at like 8.30 and had my first full night of sleep probably in three I years. Know, it just set the tone for day two because I've been around you when you haven't had sleep and I have to do a lot of heavy lifting. I felt so refreshed. I was so, I was worried that night. I was like, I'm really tired. I'm not feeling well. Like I'm missing my kids. Like I'm totally out of my routine. That like... 10 hours of sleep I had or something, Yeah, I felt like a new woman the next day, which was good because we had the long day and it was full of stuff and including our presentation. Yes. So let's talk about day two starts early. Eight, yeah. 8 a.m. with Hoshin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't, if, if you're listening, you're like, what are they even saying? So Hoshin Connery is a process of strategic planning and I had a little bit of an obsession with it alone by myself had this obsession with it and tried to learn as much about it as I could um, back at community and um, had some people that were interested here and there and some of the tools that we're using but it's basically a way to engage the whole organization in the strategic planning process as well as the strategic execution so this 8 a.m session on Hoshin from the people that wrote the book Hoshin Planning for Healthcare was like the perfect, exciting, nerdy way for me to um, start my day. Yes. And unfortunately, they get, were confused, the presenters, um, Brock Husby, and thought he was the next day, which I ended up being able to go on the next day and actually hearing what they were meant to say. Yes. But had an individual get up and volunteer to talk about how they used it, I believe at Boston Children's? Yes. Yeah. It was definitely in that area, at least. Yeah, so someone else st- stepped up when um, the original presenters kind of had a had a little misstep with their schedule, and the whole room started talking about some tools and, and ended up talking not only about Hoshin planning, but linking it with their you know lean management systems, their um, managing for daily improvement boards, and mm-hmm. talking about a little bit more even about the huddle process and how organizations were doing that. So the conversation evolved to what the room needed to talk about. So it was pretty, it was yeah, pretty cool. That, I, so I, every, I don't know anyone who doesn't wake up on the morning of the presentation and feel a little bit nervous. So I had some butterflies. And then um, just being in that room when that person raised his hand and then without preparing, walks to the front of the room and facilitates a conversation about how Hoshin is being used within the organizations represented in the room like my nerves just completely disappeared and I was beyond excited because uh, how welcome the conversation was no one was expecting perfect and everyone just wanted to be contributing and engaging in a meaningful way and that just took the pressure off of our presentation yeah it was it was cool to see wow this is actually interactive people want to engage with each other it's not a one-way street. People understand that there's learning on both sides and yes. they don't have these, you know, ridiculous expectations to leave with some yeah. crazy solution. They are just excited for the discussion and to meet new people and interact on, on ideas. Yeah, it created a perfect environment for 
two jokers like you and I to present yeah. in because within Low expectation. Yes. <laughs> yes. So within our slide deck, LP and I, we a, a joke we have is we'll put a disclaimer slide in there just about our personalities. And it's, you know, just a warning as to we're going to tell really bad jokes, um, you know, but we want to engage you. We want to have an, a valuable conversation. We're not perfect. And we're just going to do the best that we can. And hopefully through this dialogue, something strikes true with you that that you want to continue this conversation. Because let's be honest, this is a 30-minute sprint. Uh, it's cramming as much information as we can into a handful of slides just to get you motivated to want to learn more. So that was our objective, was just to pique people's interest. So we presented on the idea of addressing or combating the just work harder culture. Just try harder. Just try harder, just work yeah, harder yeah. culture. Just do, do whatever you're doing, but better. Yes. And, and it's okay if you can't tell us how you got it better if you did, because we're, we're happy then. But if it gets worse, well, that's your problem now too. Yes. So it was well attended. and has Standing been, room only, I think, actually. Yeah. Then and no one left once we got started, so that was another positive thing. Yeah. So we we started a conversation, and you know the tone of it is is how do you identify that this culture is at play, and how do you create an environment where that culture is not acceptable, and in fact people are in a position where they can ask important questions and start a journey of actually working smarter and more effectively. So in this presentation. You know, we we respect that those who are on a lean journey, they are already doing things to combat this culture, but lean isn't necessarily the end-all, fix-all. It's an important foundational belief system, and it's got a lot of tools that complement this, this journey, um, but there are other tool sets that we thought, if added to the, the mix, could really help organizations create not just, um, you know, a great approach to gaining efficiencies and effectiveness and and helping people have work that they can be really proud of but if you bring in some other tools you allow play to occur and team building to occur and it's for us it's just been a lot more fun to use some of these other tools so mm-hmm. let's talk about those tools that we recommended to this group and yeah well the, we first we tried to engage the audience a little bit to say you know raise your hands if you have done any of these things and we are expecting everybody, you know, to have their hands down by the end of it because you raise your hand and if what we talk about on the screen happened, you know, put your hand down. <clears throat> Very quickly, no hands in the room are up because we were talking about, you know, these red flags of a just try harder culture, which are, you know, you send an email out to remind everybody to do it a certain way mm-hmm. or you retrain everybody on a um, process that's been happening already without looking at is this process actually working uh some of the other things i forget what what yeah the one where you believe it's a personal performance issue it's a it's a Mm -hmm. single operator and because of that you undertake a big project initiative or you uh, require everyone to go through a change instead of having a very candid conversation with that individual to understand first are there any barriers that exist to that person performing well and, you know, just kind of trust that that it's the process. There, there's that saying of a bad system is going to be the good person every time. And in that scenario, they're blaming a person who was in some cases set up to fail by a process that was poorly designed or maybe lacked 
an understanding of the customer's requirements and therefore was never going to meet them. So we had a lot of those fun right. examples. And setting arbitrary goals. Yes. Or reacting from one month to the next if your metric goes up or down thinking you have a big problem. And, yes. you know, having a big project about it. Yep. And then the last one we ended with was not learning from your improvement efforts. So we heard a great quote from an individual that within their organization, they just wanted to be the best at getting better. And to do that, they had to go through intentional cycles of learning. So they were always looking at ways they can improve how they weren't improving. So that was our segue to say, look at the approaches you have. And this is an opportunity for you to evaluate, uh, is there a way to improve those? And is there a way to maybe um, adopt and bring some of these other techniques into your organization to complement what you're already doing? So the tools that we propose then in allowing these organizations the opportunity to assess their improvement techniques were three things. So the first was to uh, apply design thinking and to adopt the mindset of a designer. The second one was improv. And then the third was Baldridge. So I'll let's just kind of go through design thinking first and then we'll hit improv and then go to Baldridge. So with design thinking, uh, this is a creative problem-solving approach uh, that allows teams to use empathy to define your customers' needs. Sometimes these needs are stated and sometimes they're unstated, but the best way to understand them is to do deep dive interviews, to put yourself in the shoes of your customers and learn to see the world through their eyes. And then an outcome of that is a better understanding of what solutions need to be created. So oftentimes you'll see these patient stories or these customer stories presented in a persona or a challenge statement of how might we do this. And I think what I've seen in using this, it's something that really motivates and engages the design team to want to be creative because they more clearly understand who their customer is and what their customer wants. So the ideas that they come up with are more in tune to those needs. And then also these ideas that they come up with, um, they're not just created and then implemented without testing. They are uh, implemented alongside the customer and there's this feedback that's occurring for whether or not these solutions are working for the customer. So design thinking is very focused on voice of the customers. In this conversation, we said, think of it as VOC on steroids. Right. I, I think that was the key that I was hoping the group would take away from it is, you know, and just like that conversation we had with that individual who um, was talking about improv with us later, and I, I don't remember his name. I forget, mm-hmm. but... Um, it was a Tom. I forget what organization he was with. But he was actually talking about um, how they were trying to use some design to, with my chart. Which is uh, the patient's electronic medical record. It's the patient portal. Yeah, and they were doing focus groups. And I think what we were able to say in our presentation as well as our conversation with him is that, you know, sometimes we want to take the easy way out and just send out a survey or do a focus group. And not that that's easy, but it's quicker, but it's not as in-depth as design thinking would have you do to yes. really talk to somebody one-on-one and try to get to the emotion of their decisions. Yep. Yeah. So I think we got a positive response around design. There was another presentation on design thinking at the conference uh, that I didn't get to attend. I think you missed it too, but there, yeah. I, I'm assuming that was well-received as well. 
So then we went from design to improv, and I'll let you talk a little bit about how you've used improv and how you've seen it to set teams up to be more creative or uh, risk accepting. Sure. So the idea with using improv in combating this just try harder culture is to really be open to failure, to really be open to collaboration. And when something doesn't go the right way, that it's a collaborative problem, not a single person or a single, uh, you know, reason that everyone who contributes to the team contributes to the result. And the improv mindset is very much try, get feedback. If it doesn't work, just keep going. You know, nothing's a mistake. Everything is building towards the, the bigger picture. And improv tells you also to be open to new ideas. And instead of immediately saying, no, but we tried that before, using the yes and, um, actually saying yes, and then adding some more of your own brilliance to an idea that's put forward. So I think that resonated with people. And improv in general has these really awesome rules to live your life by. Yeah. It's very positive. It's very much lifting each other up. You want your partner to look good. That's one of the main rules is you never say no and you want your partner to look good. So you do everything to set them up to be funny because it's your job to help your partner look good and be funny. So if we utilize some of those in our teams and in performance, it's much safer of an environment you have more openness to new ideas. Mm -hmm. And if nothing is ever considered a failure, it's just a learning. It's just this, you know, big story that this team, it's just one part of the story of this team progressing towards improvement. It helps you try new things. Yes. So in that one, what I've always thought about improv, it's not necessarily ideas competing or who's got the best idea in that, that environment can become quite toxic. It's ideas compounding. It's, I'm going to share this idea, add to it, and I'll add to it. And it's just this magnifying effect where everyone contributes to create a a bigger and grander, more robust idea that is more likely to succeed. Yeah. So then the last one we talked about is Baldridge. And Baldridge is an excellence framework. So we didn't, we focused on Baldridge, but we talked a little bit about the other uh, excellence criteria. I know there's Shingo. There's a European quality excellence model that exists. There is ISO. So there are frameworks, and none of these frameworks are prescriptive. There are a set of questions that an organization should be able to answer in regards to a process. So in this process, what Baldridge is looking for is this concept of ADLI, A-D-L-I, is do you have an approach? How have you deployed that approach? Has that approach benefited from a cycle of learning? And are we looking for ways to integrate that process with other like processes to avoid unattended consequences or potentially sub-optimization? So in some ways, it's systems thinking. So we talked a little bit about Baldridge and the value of having someone on a team that was process honoring and asking these great questions that are explorative. Yeah, we actually just use the term examiner. So Mm -hmm. it could probably, you know, go with any framework. But the idea was as a facilitator or an operator or a team member, you can take on the role of examiner on an improvement in healthcare to combat a just try harder culture by asking really good questions, having humble inquiry 
And by understanding when a metric is being reported out as improved or a metric is being questioned as, you know, having a decline, being that person that says, well, what has changed in the process? Mm -hmm. Tell me about how the process has changed. And if, you know, people can't explain why the process has changed, maybe that's not a change. That's just normal fluctuation in the results of that process. So I think we wanted to encourage people to not be overreactive to fluctuations in performance and really take a step back to ask the right questions before moving forward with any, you know, big project to improve something that maybe wasn't broken to begin with. Mm -hmm. Great. So we, we had an absolute blast working together to make this presentation and I felt like it was well received. And uh, I, I, because of that response we got, I'm already thinking about what we could talk about in 2021 because I'm going back. I want you to go with me. It's in Orlando so we can take the, yeah. the kids. The thing is, is I'm going to have a really hard time focusing because it's in Orlando and I, I have a small addiction to Disney World. Well, you probably have to go to Disney first. Like, get, I'll go, get the Disney all out of your system. I'll just do a sandwich of it. I'll, oh, okay. Yeah, I'll do Disney before, and then I'll do this conference, and then I'll go after. So okay. that, that's my plan. Whatever you, whatever whatever works. Okay. So the, the last <laughs> thing on day two that I want to hit in on, maybe there's two things we talk about. We, let's talk about the keynote, and then some of the cool things we saw in the poster presentations that yeah. night. So I did, I talked about the keynote a little bit when I was talking about how I felt after I made my podcast, and... Then attending the keynote, just that kind of switch that I I had. So the keynote speaker was a clinician from the Mayo Clinic. It's Dr. Victor Montori, and he was presenting on the kind of evolution of healthcare and the events that have occurred to put it where it is in current day. And then he talked a little bit about has these things have occurred. It's caused a lot of noise around the patient and the clinician's interaction. And, and because of that, there's challenges in actually caring for a person in a way that a human naturally is designed to care. So in some ways, they are providing care or they are giving care and they are not caring. And he shared stories of that's occurring because in listening to a patient's story, you're, you're documenting it and you're capturing You have it. an agenda. You have an you know, agenda. And, that, and that's what really stuck out to me. I'm like, oh my, I never really thought about it that way. But we give clinicians so many requirements. You know, you have to screen for this. You have to watch for that. You have to ask this X, Y, Z. So before the patient even gets to tell what's going on or what they're there for, you're worried about checking the box and all of the things you're required to yes. ask them. And this idea of you know, treating them with evidence-based care, you know, that's good, but to really know that you're using that to treat someone like Tom, Mm -hmm. not Tom. Yes. And that really resonated with me. And we like to use data and we like to be predictive, but at the end of the day, when, you know, there's no cameras in treatment rooms and you can't see what's happening in that face-to-face interaction. And you have to kind of only measuring the output of that. And there's probably so much that goes on in a good clinical interaction that's not, you can't measure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and he also talked about not only is this exchange happening with a lot of noise, it's happening on a tighter and tighter timeline. Has clinicians 
are driven more to be productive and their schedules are structured around these intervals of 15 minute or 13 minute appointments and that this element of time just creates this urgency to where the clinician can never really be present mm. and so he did it he did a marvelous job in creating this shared need that healthcare has to change and he gave a lot more examples than what we're talking about. Yeah, you can um, actually, there's a book, Why We Revolt, A Patient Revolution for Careful and Kind Care. I definitely want to check that out. I didn't win the free one while we were there. No. I did ask a really good question. You did. And I was excited because I, he only had time for two questions. So I was able to ask my question about why or what his thoughts were on hospitals getting into the business of social determinants and his feedback really was we care for sick people your you know public health system should be taking care of those so I just thought that was a very kind of you know I've forgotten you know to think about it that way like what is the scope of health care and are we broadening our scope to the point that it's unsustainable and he you know talked about the concept too of you know what's going to happen to people that are served with these programs that may or may not last you know very long Mm -hmm. yeah i thought it was a great question and his response was great it wasn't doom and gloom of oh it's up to them to fix it. it's more hospitals these healthcare organizations and these clinicians need to learn to partner closely with policymakers and city officials to create an approach to um, providing better public health outcomes at the community level. So he wasn't passing the buck. He was saying, no, we're still involved. We're the experts that need to be at the table advising on what would work and what wouldn't. But this shouldn't be ours alone. It should be something that we have the resources to actually execute on. And the best way to do that is through your policymakers and public funding. So his response was great. And I just if you have the opportunity to watch him speak, if you um, want to learn more, look his book up. It was well worth the flight and waking up early just to see that presentation. Yeah. And um, and I'm, he compared good health care to the elegance of a ballet dancer, so he won my heart right there. Yes, he spoke to your inner nerd. I did. So, okay, so the keynote was, was amazing, and um, it was just eye-opening as I was saying in that I felt alone when I talked about my my message I tried to share in the podcast but the way everyone received that was just uniting I felt like after that keynote there was already really good energy at that conference before his keynote but afterwards it was amplified and just a lot more energy in every session and this great hope that healthcare could get better he really connected everybody back to the why I think yes very well so then we do, we attended a few more sessions in between the keynote, which was around lunchtime, and then the poster presentations. Um, and those big focuses were on what we, some of the things we've already talked about, which was uh, Hoshin and setting strategy and tying things together with a lean management system or managing for daily improvement. Uh, there was a lot of conversations about throughput and discharging patients or having good capacity plans to be able to meet the demands of your your patient volume. So lots of presentations on that. 
So we then we get into the poster presentations that evening and we just get this other look, another glimpse of what's happening within other organizations. And as I walked around poster to poster to poster, there were things I saw that these organizations were working on that you and I in our careers had worked on. So again, it's this concept of no one's alone in this. A lot of organizations are facing the same problems and these are some solutions that can help. So some of the things I saw in the poster presentation, again, was uh, training, a lot of emphasis on growing the things that we called to be an extended office. It's, you know, it can't be a office of 10 people with extreme expertise in Lean Six Sigma that are expected to totally transform an organization. A lot of what we saw in those posters were those people were pollinating their their thinking and their skill sets on on a plan to get others involved that they can then add to the journey and do work for themselves. So I was I was happy to see that on a couple of posters. Were there anything on the posters you saw that was just like, I love that. I've never seen that before. Um, honestly, I didn't spend a whole ton of time after I saw the other Hoosiers there. Yes. So we met some friends from our um, buddies over at Riley Hospital for Children and their poster presentation on a relationship building tool in the mm-hmm. emergency department. So Nick and Trezene presented on that poster and got to talking to them and they were just super dynamic and friendly. And, mm-hmm. you know, once I got talking to Trezene, I, I didn't have to walk around anymore. It was like, I'm, this is, this is it for me here. Yeah. So. I'm sure I missed some really good stuff, though. Yes. So I, I did um, walk, and there was a lot of cool engineering-like approaches to facility layout was probably the other big mm-hmm. thing I saw on posters. So there was um, just, again, in these poster presentations, an amazing atmosphere of collaboration. And then that continued into dinner. So we went out and continued to meet people. They have an event called Dutch Dinners which people sign up for and get to go out and experience some of the good food in Savannah. And I'm glad we did that too, but it did. It, it, it um, created for a long day, and, but, it, but it was worth it. it and was. after dinner, yeah. we walked by this little candy shop, which was just like... Oh my God. They gave out free pralines. Yes. And it was almost like chewing a cavity. Like you knew, like it was just like eating your teeth alive but it was so good. it was so good yeah <laughs> the the smell is a smell i won't forget and i have a huge sweet tooth it was delicious so it was delicious so then you and i had to part ways that night because i was yep. coming home yep. um had to had to be here carolyn my wife and a group of her friends were leaving on friday to go to atlanta to see the um, men's and women's olympic trial marathon race so I had to had to be home so that I can uh, allow her to to pack her bags and get in the car to get back to the airport. So I I left LP. Um, I you know reconnected her with her while she was preparing to come home and talk to her a little bit about day three, which sounds just as good as day or it's day two there. Day two of the conference. Day three of our trip. Day yeah, two of the conference. Yeah. It sounds just as good as day one was. So I'm gonna well sort of day three because day. One, was we didn't take advantage of some of like the pre-conference extra fee activities because we're yes. cheap. Yes. But next year we should probably. I want to. I want to do. I want to do a workshop next year. Okay. I'm putting it out in the universe that, and I think there'd be a lot of demand if we did a three to four hour workshop on the design thinking process. 
Well, if you're listening to this and you want and, and you think that's a good idea, comment. Yes. Okay. Okay. So now so let's we're, talk we're about getting, this is oh, getting a little long, that's, which is what's going to happen that's our when you and I are on it. That's on a trademark. Anything. Um, but so quickly on day three, um, I got there on time, which I was proud of myself. And the first thing in the morning was a keynote from Alex Knight, who was, um, the protege of, uh, the gentleman that wrote the goal. And I'm now going to, of course, forget his, um, his name, but I've read that book. So mm-hmm. why am I Gold not? Goldrat. Isn't Gold it Goldrat? It is. Goldrat. And look, I'm, Absolutely. I just, I don't have any yet. resources in my hand. <laughs> I will. He's telling the truth. Yes. He pulled that out of his actual mind. So, um, it's Goldrat Consulting. And now, you know, Alex Knight is the founding member of, and um, QFI is, is I think, uh, abbreviation for his company. But he talked about um, how to apply the theory of constraints to healthcare. And it was a, more technical than the keynote on the previous day. So he actually got into showing a graph of measuring the system of a hospital and looking at patient arrival to actual planned discharge date and how all of the dependencies of the processes that they need to go through can impact that changing or moving. And that you can't optimize a system by optimizing its individual parts. Mm. And I think that's what really resonated with me because how often do we do that? You know, we have projects looking at maximizing the ED, maximizing throughput in the lab, maximizing throughput in x-ray. Max- and if we're all going as fast as humanly possible, you know, we're not addressing the right bottleneck. And if any of you have read The Goal, and Mark Hightoff, I hope you're listening to this because you inspired me to listen to this book. I actually did the audiobook of it. It talks about the theory of constraint in a good, in a good story form. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest takeaways or visuals that you, I can remember this by is the father goes on a hiking trip with his uh, kids' Boy Scout troop, and they have a, a stopping point for lunch that is predetermined. Like mm-hmm. They're going to stop here for lunch no matter what. So they put some of the faster kids in the front, and there's some slower kids in the back, and he's realizing, this father, that this is what his business is doing. There's some areas that are really fast and, and moving quickly, but everything's depend. It's a it's a system. This whole group needs to get from X to Z together, mm-hmm. and you know the people can get there faster, but they're going to sit and wait. So you have to design your system based really on the bottleneck and mm-hmm. how fast that bottleneck can actually process. You know, so um, he, applying that to healthcare really is something I don't think we we do a great job at looking at things as a system. And trying to find, you know, what needs to slow down because mm-hmm. everything's about going faster. Yeah. So it's, yep. it's he was he was great. A lot of good discussion um, with him afterwards as well. Some good questions. The next one I went to was about the impact of the general elections in healthcare, and I won't get into that too much because no one likes to talk about politics. But it was very interesting to hear that people just sort of feel at a loss and. Going back to all of these conversations about Hoshin planning, it was like, how do people even do five-year plans Right. when you can't plan what's going to happen to reimbursement 
you know, to the next general election mm-hmm. or, you know, even two years with the state elections and are they expanding Medicaid or they're not. So um, the conversations, it really became, it was a panel and it really became a big room discussion and we got into topics even um, related to maternal health and, you know, the mother baby mortality rate. We were mm-hmm. in Georgia. So that was, it's literally the worst in the country oh, wow. for that. So um, it was just a really good conversation about the unpredictability Mm-hmm. And they talked about what the difference in the language that you might hear in the general election, what does single payer versus Medicare for all um, and, uh, you know, public health care mean. I think there were like three defi- different definitions. Okay. So I was like, I didn't even really know those were different. So I guess there there are some kind of tweaks to why those might be different. And then the um, other one I went to was a report out from a leadership forum that they had on the first day. And what they tried to do, I guess, was bring together leaders in performance improvement and have them be able to have these cohorts of friends when they left to say, how are you dealing with this? How are, how is this mm-hmm. change affecting your organization? How do you handle this problem? So they bring them together, they facilitate them in getting to know each other for a good amount of time. And then in this session, they shared what came out of that session. You know, what kind of topics did you all have in common and mm-hmm. what was the value you got from the leadership forum? And um, it was just really interesting to hear. And it was kind of reinforced when we were talking to Lauren uh, that the most exciting and well attended, you know, things in the conference sometimes are around those softer side skills. Mm-hmm. You know, the the data, the modeling, the throughput, the, you know, work around real, you know, PI heavy projects is amazing and people enjoy those too but it seems like the softer side the soft skills the relationship building the conversations uh, those are really well attended too so I think Mm -hmm. that's um, good to know as we're designing you know next year's presentations yes uh, overall just an awesome awesome time and I had a few hours after that to just enjoy Savannah and it was great Great. I'm, I'm glad you pushed me to get out of my comfort zone and to write the abstract and to go through this process of submitting an idea to present it. I had so much fun out there. I know this podcast is a little long, but we just went through what ended up being three days of an amazing conference, uh, and we probably didn't do it justice. There's probably a lot of things on the table that we haven't discussed. Um, so with that, if if this has spoken to your inner nerd, if this is something that you are passionate about or you're becoming passionate about or you're just curious about, one of the things that we learned as we were leaving because we made uh, some contacts with the leadership team of SHS and the planning committee of the conference, we asked them what some of their goals were and they were talking about member engagement and growth and wanting to make this conference bigger and more encompassing in some of the groups they were focusing in on were clinicians and uh, operations, as we'd said before. So in this podcast, I want to kind of wrap us up with the, this is a great group of people to surround yourself with, and it's an amazing conference to go to. And I know that they are planning to have it in February, late February, that looks like the 24th and 26th of 2021, and that it's going to be held in Orlando, Florida. So if this was something that spoke to you, if this is something that you want to get involved in, look for that information. 
and register and come and meet these people and see these presentations and get involved because healthcare is not going to change itself. It's going to take people coming together and sharing ideas and acting on those ideas to actually enact change. And I was just beyond happy that we were included in that. And if you're interested, you know, the, we'll tag the, the um, website and everything, but it's societyforhealthsystems.org is the society that puts on the conference. And then if you want information on the conference itself, the website is iise.org backslash H-S-P-I. Awesome. Well, thanks for bringing us to a close and thanks for doing this episode with me. Are we allowed to high five on a podcast? Yeah.